Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And keeping it dad to the bone in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What up, man? I'm definitely keeping it dad to the bone. I have my allergies going. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a good weekend. Uh, lots of good stuff to talk about on the show. Uh, as far as that goes, George, going to talk about that game here in just a minute, but that one was way more exciting than I probably wanted it to be. So uh, lots of stuff to talk about. I'm fired up, and uh, let's get ready to go. Hey, Lebanon is going to be in homecoming week uh, starting tomorrow. All right, all right. Well, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who always enjoys a little extra trombone shorty in his life. It's our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Uh, that was the highlight of the weekend, Friday night, Preservation Hall in Trombone Shorty gave a concert in Iowa City, and then, uh, well, we'll get into it. Well, yes, we will definitely be getting into that game, along with a bunch of other ones. We had a great week three of college football here. So let's get right into it with some quick slants, guys. Uh, Josh, I'm going to toss it right back out to you first. All right. Well, I just wanted to touch on Kansas. This came from a text that you and I exchanged, Perko, when I said, has Kansas reached a new rock bottom with their – humiliation at Memphis and uh, Memphis delivered the rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, So I decided to look into it. So uh, I went back to uh, the 09 season. That's uh, Mangino's last year there, obviously went uh, 12 and one in 07, eight and five in 2008, but 09, they were surprisingly competitive for a five and seven team. A lot of close losses. Uh, He was under investigation for some of the stuff that, like, the Pirate did where they thought he was kind of treating some kids poorly. And so they used a bad season as an excuse to get him to uh, to resign under pressure. So 2010 brought in uh, Turner Gill. I was looking at it, and, uh, well, they, they started out with um, kind of a rock bottom. They lost to North Dakota State in his very first game. Um, but North Dakota State turned out to be a pretty good team as the last year before they won the first of their five straight national titles. Um, but, but really, I didn't see a game in that year that, that was super embarrassing. Um, so I went to 2011, and, uh, well, right there, they went 0-9 and 2-10. and 10. So there's a, there's a lot to go through. And I thought that Texas might be the rock bottom of that year. They uh, – or the, uh, excuse me, Texas A&M that year. Uh, A&M beat them 61-7. That's pretty bad. 
for a conference game, but that A and M team uh, went just six and six of the regular season. So uh, that was that's pretty embarrassing. That's pretty embarrassing. Uh, twenty twelve was a delightfully uh, one win season. So again, a lot of promising games that uh, that could be there rock bottom and Iowa State beating them 51-23 or West Virginia beating them 59-10. Certainly uh, stellar performances by the Jayhawks as we look for uh, for their rock bottom. But I think losing to Rice that year. They lost to Rice at home and uh, the Owls went just 7-6 and six that year. So that was my nominee, their rock bottom. And then 2013, again, a, a really memorable season for the Jayhawks. Went three and nine, uh, lost to Rice again, but but Rice won Conference USA that year, so there's no shame in that. So my rock bottom for that team had to have been losing to Iowa State, thirty-four to nothing. Get shut out. Cyclones that year won just three and nine, two and seven in league. They finished second to last to Kansas, and yet Kansas can't score a point on Iowa State. That's pretty bad. Uh, 2014, another uh, just delightful, delightful year by uh, by the Jayhawks. This was, of course, Charlie Weiss's last season. He coached the first four before they fired him, and they were actually turning around a little bit. They started out two and one the last time they'd been above 500 at any point in the year, uh, and then they lost to Texas in that fourth game, 23 to nothing. And for those of you who remember the Texas team from 2014, it wasn't exactly a great, great club there for the Longhorns. Not a vintage team. That was, Max, that was Max Strong's first year, right? Yeah, that was Charlie Strong's first year. Time. Yeah. Yeah, and so predictably the wheels then fell off for Kansas. So, uh, you know, Memphis has some, some competition for rock bottom. Uh, then we go to 2015, of course. I mean, just a gem. When you're talking about Kansas football – there's nothing like the 0-12, 0-9 season. They lost to South Dakota State to start the year. South Dakota State Jackrabbits, decent team, but they only went 8-4 and four in FCS. That's a great nickname. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was a nice one. So, you know, Memphis, I don't know if it's rock bottom, but, you know, they certainly made an argument, but there's some really good performances uh, that Kansas – just kind of got lost in the shuffle. We don't talk enough about the strengths of this Jayhawk team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good good Lord. I I still think that last year's team might be rock bottom. At least this year's team has won a game so far. But, uh, Coach, uh, let's get get that to you on on your first quick slant. All right, well, I'm going to call audible here. And I know we have Michigan State-Notre Dame game on our plate. Uh, for the deep routes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call a little appetizer for that. And I'm gonna call a little, we're, I'm in I'm in what's called check with me, and uh, and so I'm, I'm calling up a card on the sideline, coach, with like a, a random logo, some some a meme, and like a couple of like random words. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, well, uh, first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Appalachian State, and uh, now that they, you know, ever since they had uh, almost almost dismantled Tennessee. They've had that target on their back, and they're not going to catch anybody by surprise. They certainly didn't catch Miami by surprise, 45-10. to 10. Uh, The early slate of games was just blowout city and, and games you wouldn't expect to be blowout city. Um, but uh, 
Brad Kaya left the game, had a little bit of swelling in his knee, but Mark Rich is not concerned about that. So uh, just wanted to just wanted to touch base and mention the dismantling of Appalachian State by Miami. Uh, Mark Rick has is a veteran coach, and he has been uh, he has been involved in games like that where they come up to almost come out to bite you. Uh, so he was ready for that. So what I wanted to talk about, um, and this will be a good storyline going into the Michigan State game, was that Brian Kelly, his official account at Coach Brian Kelly, liked a tweet from at Kevin Coughlin telling Kelly that after Saturday's 36-28 to 28 home loss to Michigan State, it's time to shake up his coaching staff and fire Van Gorder. You know what his excuse was? Um, some staffer must have liked that by mistake. I thought it was the infamous Twitter hacker. Yes, something like that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> if, if, if there isn't any controversy, there probably is now, Van Gorder. He likes a tweet saying he should fire Brian Van Gorder. So uh, well, I thought be, that was kind of funny. To be fair, that hideous green windbreaker that he was wearing is grounds enough for Kelly to let him go. Yes, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, um, But just wanted to throw that out there. Um, also, I, I, mine was a very, very, very quick slant. Uh, we'll get into that game here in just a minute. Also, some other scores uh, for those of you who don't, Really understand. Uh, I just watched, going back to Josh's, um, I watched a clip, and, and this is just kind of further illustrates the point that this is this is the rock bottom game for Kansas, I think, um, and a 43-7 to trouncing at the hands of an American Conference team, Memphis. Um, I was watching the highlights of it, and I saw a clip. Memphis had it first and goal from about the seven. They turn and hand the ball off. Just a simple just a simple inside zone play, nothing, nothing special, nothing tricky. Nothing gimmicky, you know, just a simple, you know, two tight end, uh, one back, inside zone play. Well, Kansas did a good job of reading the play, and they had him stuffed in the backfield, and, you know, they, they, they had him they had him hemmed up, right? So I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And, and then all of a sudden he breaks through all – he breaks through, I think, six tacklers. They all gang tackled him. He breaks through not, – not breaks through and shoots out the other side. He just physically carries – that pile of bodies into the end zone, and is the most like is is most one of those slow death, painful, just like oh god, cringeworthy moments where you're just like it can't be this pitiful, but it really is this pitiful. I mean, that was the most pitiful thing I've ever seen in a football game at that level. I've seen some pretty pitiful things in a football game. Uh, if you guys. Uh, I've tuned in to uh, to my season this year, but my goodness, that was that was the most pitiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah, man. I mean, coach, I got to watch you guys on UStream this weekend, so I know that you've seen uh, some some rough tackling, uh, you know, with your own two eyes this year. But uh, let, let me get out to my quick, uh, my first quick slant, and that is uh, three really interesting uh, Pac-12 games. One actual Pac-12 in-conference game. Two others uh, involving Pac-12 teams, and I want to start with uh, my UCLA Bruins. They played the BYU Cougars. I got out to a 17-0 lead in the third quarter. Ended up winning 17 to 14, and what ended up being honestly a really boring game. Um, some ugly offense from both of these teams. Uh, UCLA rushed for 50 yards on 34 attempts for a lovely 1.5 yards per carry average, which 
far outbested BYU's uh, 25 carries for 23 yards. For That is, for you counting at home, nine-tenths of a yard per carry. So really not what you're looking for out of your running game uh, from either. Obviously, UCLA was uh, lacking uh, top tailback Soso Jamabo, and I have yet to find a report to say where why he was actually not playing, but he was seen in street clothes on the sidelines. So, but it has not been said if it was due to injury or due to uh, you know team disciplinary measures or whatnot. But UCLA got the, got it done with Josh Rosen throwing for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he had a pretty solid day, going 26 of 40. Um, and he really spread the ball around. Uh, he got the ball out to 12 different receivers on the day, really just using using backs, using receivers, using tight ends, getting everyone involved. But the big, um, but uh, yeah, so they were able to sort of really, you know, get it going uh, in the passing game because neither team could get a, a real good rushing attack going. Taysom Hill for BYU, he was fine, 26 to 48 for 250 yards, a touchdown and a pick, but he just never was able to get in rhythm. Uh, UCLA was disguising a lot of defenses, bringing pressure from different sides, getting pretty exotic with some of their blitzes. And you could really see that Taysom Hill was not able to sort of get into a groove like we saw him. Uh, like we've seen him do in the past. Um, The other L.A. team, the USC Trojans, went up to the farm and got uh, thoroughly, I wouldn't say dismantled, but thoroughly beaten by an excellent Stanford Cardinal team, led obviously by Christian McCaffrey, who had 238 yards and two touchdowns on the day, plus another 22 yards in terms of kick returns. Uh, it's a McCaffrey show, and no one is surprised there. But the big play of this game, though, actually did not come from Christian McCaffrey. It came from a really, really well-designed end-around to Michael Rector, who took it 56 yards to the house for the Cardinal. Ryan Burns was uh, a very efficient 9-for-15 with a touchdown. Uh, USC, on the other hand, uh, you know, they p- end up, ended up pulling Max Brown when he was uh, just relatively ineffective throughout the game, brought in Sam Darnold, and he was no better. So for USC, we, they seem to have the classic two-quarterback equals no-quarterback problem. Ronald Jones was solid for them on the ground. He had 63 yards and a touchdown, but they just didn't really establish the running attack like you would want to see them do, uh, you know, in order to take on sort of a, a big-boy team like Stanford. So USC has now started the year one and two, and they are definitely in a hole. Uh, finally, though, the biggest game for the conference, at least, was Cal's big upset of the number 11 Texas Longhorns at home, 50-43. to 43. Uh, Davis, Webb, Davis Webb had himself a game. Uh, he had he went 27-40, 396 yards and four touchdowns. He was slinging the ball left and right, but everyone was getting in on the scoring on both sides. Uh, Shane Bouchel uh, didn't have his greatest game, 19-33 for 196 yards and a touchdown uh, and an interception, but he, he his one touchdown pass, he dropped it into the arms of Ja'Cory Warwick uh, on a nice little hitch-and-go route that was absolutely gorgeous to behold. But Texas really got it done on the ground in this game, 307 yards and four touchdowns um, on the ground, with most of it coming from Deontay Foreman and Chris Warren, uh, each of them over 100 yards and each having two touchdowns. So uh, it was really impressive. We've seen that Texas can score. We've seen that Cal can score. But I was impressed that Cal was able to 
actually hold off Texas enough to get the win here. We all thought that, you know, Texas, you know, they've looked really, really strong so far in this year, especially with their victory over Notre Dame. But Cal, after you know, who've been sort of all over the country and, uh, you know, playing teams and uh, playing Hawaii and Australia, playing San Diego State, now getting to play Texas. They've had some pretty decent competition so far. And the Cal, and the Cal uh, receiving core really impressed me. Demetrius Robertson, uh, the freshman, didn't really get in on it. We, you know, we all expected sort of big things from him. But the story is obviously Chad Hansen. Uh, 12 catches, 196 yards, two touchdowns, and no one could cover him on uh, on Texas. He was just a size matchup for them. He's only listed as 6'2", 205, but he plays much bigger than that, he uses his body to shield off defenders, and it had, you know, that's a couple spectacular catches just going up and getting the ball at the high point and not letting the Texas D-backs get to him. So this is a guy who was a walk-on, and, you know, another one of those guys who's gone under, who went under the radar, just worked really hard, and now is – one of the leading receivers in the nation. He's got, already got 546 yards and five touchdowns on the year. So um, Cal, you know, <clears throat> production in places they didn't expect and some places that they did expect. Obviously, we expected Davis Webb, uh, the transfer from Texas Tech, to come in and light it up, and he really did. Uh, so, you know, great win for the Bears. Uh, kudos to them. And Texas is going to have to, you know, make some adjustments on defense. Malik Jefferson can't do everything. So uh, that's my first quick slant. And so, Josh, it's time for you to run your second pattern. Yeah. So one of the things we love to do here on the pod that I think definitely separates us from, uh, from some of the other shows is we're not afraid to uh, go deep in some, uh, some conferences that – oftentimes get overlooked, and I want to touch base with the MAC. They've had an interesting uh, start to the season. So out east, uh, Bowling Green with all their new faces, they're struggling. They've given up 144 points in a young year. I know 77 came from Ohio State, but if you do the math, the other two games didn't go too well for them either. Uh, Kent State 1-2, and two, uh, they're struggling. They lost to an FCS school. I don't know if there's anything wrong with it. Sometimes it happens to the best of us, but uh, they have that mark to them. Ohio, though, has been really, really frisky uh, in their one and two start, and I'll get to them in a second. But uh, rounding out the bottom is Buffalo and Miami still looking for their first win on the young season. But uh, the, the Bobcats really pushed Tennessee, gave them a, gave them a run. Uh, Ohio lost a heartbreak or a weird overtime game where they just – they just weren't in it quite yet against Texas State, but they, they rebounded nicely Kansas in week two and then gave Tennessee all they could handle. Frank Solich looks like he has that team rounding into form. But the surprise leader right now in the East is the Akron Zips. This is a team that uh, used a ton of seniors last year to win their first program, uh, their first bowl in program history. We didn't know what they would look like coming back. Wisconsin – blasted them but they beat vmi to open the year and then last saturday at marshall we love doc holiday but goodness the zips 65 38 winners in huntington well done by the zips and then out west this is the best this is the best division in the conference it's one of the toughest division races that we'll see as everyone looks neck and neck central undefeated on the year they obviously had the Interesting win at Oklahoma State. Toledo is 3-0 and on the season. I'll still circle back to them in a second. Western Michigan just knocked off their second Big Ten team of the year. They're 3-0. and 
Ball State, two and one on the young season. Eastern Michigan also two and one on the young season. Went down to Charlotte, won that game. Nice to see them showing some signs of life. Uh, Northern Illinois, lucky losers right now, unfortunately. They're 0-3, losing Jordan Hare for the season. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a career-ender. That's really tough to swallow. I don't know how the Huskies get back on track, but they've also had a hard schedule. They had to take on that San Diego State Aztec team that we love so much. So uh, the the two teams that we weren't necessarily expecting with Central and Western being so good, the Toledo Rockets and the Ball State Cardinals I wanted to touch on for a second. The Rockets 3-0. and They opened the year at Arkansas State, the defending Sunbelt champions. Nice win there followed up by killing an FCS school. And then how about this? They hosted Fresno State on paper. The Mountain West team should be able to be competitive. Rockets ran up and down the field on them, beat them 52-17 in a boat race. And Ball State, they gave Indiana some trouble, but ended up losing by 10. However, they opened with a win at Georgia State. And last Saturday, they creamed the Eastern Kentucky Colonels. So they're looking pretty good in a year that we – weren't expecting too much from the boys for Muncie. So the Mac heating up already, and we're only three weeks into the season. Josh, I just want to ask you really quick. Uh, did you see the kickoff from, like, the 20-yard line in the Eastern Michigan-Charlotte game where they were – where I believe it was Eastern Michigan was kicking off on Charlotte's, like, 20 or 30 or something like that? <laughs> I did not see that, but I'm really curious what transpired. For those of you out there, I highly recommend going to YouTube and checking that out. Uh, all right, Coach, what you got for your second slam? Well, my second slam, I'm going to kind of follow suit and go uh, go through the SEC and uh, go through my roundup of the conference and, and how they fared in uh, in league play here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Alabama Ole Miss game, so I'll leave that here for later. I uh, wanted to start with the Florida-North Texas game, some controversy there. Uh, Florida won 32 to nothing, but that's not the story. Luke Del Rio uh, left the game after taking a shot in the knee after an incomplete pass. Jim McElwain um, was fired up after the game, calling it a, calling it a dirty play. Uh, so Florida's going to have to figure out, uh, A, how serious this injury is and if it's going to be a season ender, and B, can former Purdue starter, I know, uh, Purdue, Austin Appleby, he's going to be the new guy coming in. He's going to be called upon to uh, to uh, take the reins for Florida um, in that regard. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Gainesville. Josh, Ham- Josh Hammond was the leading receiver, two catches, 72 yards, and Mark Thompson was the leading ball carrier. Uh, had 11 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown um, in that game. For Arkansas, they completely dismantled Texas State 42-3. to Raleigh Williams had 19 carries, 121 and two touchdowns. Austin Allen was 16 of 21 for 241 and two touchdowns. So uh, Arkansas getting back on track. They're ranked 24th right now. Uh, poor Vanderbilt getting dismantled on the road at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech starting the season 3-0. and uh, So the, uh, the Ramblin' Wreck uh, actually wrecked. Vanderbilt and uh, threw their anchor out the window. Uh, they beat them 38 to seven. Kyle Shermer was 17 of 26, 149 yards in the touchdown. Uh, your leading rusher was actually quarterback Justin Thomas, 11 carries for 81 yards. And the leading receiver for Georgia Tech, Clinton Lynch, two catches, 87 yards and a touchdown. That's just kind of what the Georgia Tech offense does. Um, your leading receiver is usually going to have one or two catches, but it's going to be one of those long play action bombs. South Carolina, getting their second win. They, uh, they beat our uh, 
unofficial official team of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast, the Purple Pirates. They suffer their first loss of the season. They fall 20-15 to 15 to South Carolina. Phillip Nelson was 44 for 58 for 400 yards and a touchdown for East Carolina. Man, that's impressive. Rushing-wise, James, James Summers, 11 carries, 71 yards, and uh, actually the leading receiver for the game was Zay Jones from East Carolina with 22 catches for 190 yards. And you just got to wonder how did they lose this game. I didn't really watch it, um, so I'm not real sure. But with stats like that, they uh, they should have won. So I don't know. They got some things to fix, I guess. Um, with uh, with some of the other games, uh, wanted to uh, jump in. Uh, Kentucky picking up their first win. They dismantled New Mexico State, 62 to 42. Uh, Stephen Johnson, 17 to 22, three ten and three touchdowns. Uh, LSU breaking a new starter, Danny Etling. He was 19 of 30, 215 in a touchdown. Leonard Fournette getting back on track. 28 carries, 147 and two touchdowns there. Uh, Tennessee uh, beating Ohio 28-19. Struggled most of the way, but found a way in the second half. Uh, Alvin Kamara was the leading rusher there. Uh, was the top performer for Tennessee. 11 carries for 67 yards. Josh Jobs um, also had a pretty good day just trying to leave them out of that kind of funk and into a victory. Uh, and then the game I watched, paid most attention to on Saturday night um, for obvious reasons, was the Georgia-Missouri game. I um, want to talk about the quarterbacks, both young. Drew Locke is a true sophomore. Jacob Beeson is a true freshman starter. It's the first game that he started without having to look over his shoulder. Uh, Drew Locke was brilliant in the first half. Uh but he threw three picks in the second half, uh, kind of kept Georgia in it. Could have put them away, uh, but they had five turnovers. Uh, a couple observations from the game, Georgia's offensive line is awful. Uh, Nick Chubb, 19 carries, 63 yards, and that was just really just Chubb trying to make room for himself. The offensive line was terrible. They got no push. Uh, Mizzou's defensive line is pretty good, but it, they look like they look like an NFL team out there against them, and they just couldn't get any movement whatsoever. They couldn't get locked on or get couldn't couldn't find a, an inch of running room for anybody. Uh, Charles Harris had seven tackles, three sacks. Jamon Moore for the for the Tigers had eight catches, 196 yards, and two touchdowns. He had a 79-yard touchdown catch and run that was pretty impressive. Caught a slant, took it to the house. That's what I that's what we kind of hope to do on the show with our quick slants, catch them and go to the house. Um, that's what he did. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, the human joystick, turning into turning into a superstar for the dogs. He he had ten catches, one hundred twenty-two, and two touchdowns. The last of his touchdowns was a game winner on fourth down in the fourth quarter, which was a which uh, that's what they needed. That's what Jacob Beeson needed. To be honest with you, um, he had one rushing as well, so he had three total. But uh, guys, just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Jacob Beeson and what he kind of did. I thought for a freshman, he looked pretty good, although he struggled. A lot uh, and during during the game, uh, but I, I thought he looked four freshman pretty good. Listen, all I need to know about Jacob Eason, I saw in the fourth and ten for the final touchdown. Um, he lofted that ball in there where his, I mean he let his receiver go up and make a play, and that's what he's got to do when you got you know when you when you got players like that, and you know he showed a lot of poise in there, and so yeah, he had some mistakes throughout the game, but uh, Eason is. Definitely the guy. I don't. If, I don't want to see Grayson Lambert taking any more snaps. If I'm, you know, a Georgia fan, and I don't think he has to worry about that at all. So, uh, I was very impressed with him um, as well. And Sony Michelle had a, actually a decent game as well. But 
Uh, it was actually a really exciting, fun game to watch. It was a lot of back and forth between the two teams, and, and I thought Missouri was a lot better than we'd given them credit for. I really liked Barry Odom, and I really thought Josh Heifel did a good job of calling the game. Uh, as much as I was hammering him in the uh, in our uh, preview shows, I think he did a really good job calling the game. Um, I think that everything he, he called was there. Had they not turned the ball over five times, we're, we're talking about how great of a game uh, Mizzou had. Um, and then finally, my last conference game, A&M-Auburn. Uh, it was an exciting game. But the play of the game was Trayvon Williams. He had eight carries, 127, and a touchdown. His touchdown was him going 89 yards and making six defenders miss. And each of the six defenders didn't only miss, but they had an extremely poor attempt at tackling. They just laid a glove on him and, and tried to arm tackle him, and it was just it was pitiful. And and it, it's a honestly it's a cause for concern because the quality of tackling is going way down, way down. You know, you're starting to see more of these plays where these backs look like the next coming of Adrian Peterson, and it's just because that people can't tackle anymore. So um, that's your SEC conference wrap-up. Coach, I had a real quick question for you. What did you think of uh, Missouri receiver Jamal Moore? Loved him. Uh, like I said, eight catches, 196. I mean, he was – I mean, he just seemed like he was always open. I mean, he, he can burn too. Uh, and That's what I was surprised at. I, I, yeah. I didn't realize that he had he had that kind of speed. Yeah, I didn't think he had those wheels. I mean, when he caught that slant, it you know, he made there was there was one of the defenders. I think it was the safety, and I think it was uh, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember which safety it was. It came over. Um, I know uh, Jawan Briscoe was there. He was the corner that was defending him, and he went up. And as soon as he went up to tackle, he all of a sudden, and this was this was mostly due to Jamon Moore's uh, speed that I didn't know he had, he all of a sudden he was gone. And Briscoe looked like what appeared looked like a good angle for, for the tackle, and he was going to catch it and get a six-yard gain. Well, he turned that into a 79-yard touchdown because he just turned on the Jets. And, man, I, I, I was impressed. And yeah, I think – That was really if, something. If they – clean up some of their penalties, some of their dumb penalties that kept drives alive. If they clean up a couple of these, uh, the, the, the three picks, mo- they were mostly communication errors. I know at least two of them were uh, where, uh, you know, they got into hurry up mode and one guy ran this route and drew lock threw another route thinking he was going to be there and ended up throwing a pick. And then, uh, you know, I think the other one was just a good play in the end zone uh, for another pick. So, um, and then the two fumbles, the, the, the most crucial fumble uh, of all was was right there at the end of the game. Georgia goes up ahead. They they got, I think, it's a minute 19 left on the clock. Missouri throws, this, throws a pass, and the guy catches it, runs. I mean, he's going across midfield. And uh, safety comes through and knocks the – actually, Aaron Davis comes through and uh, jars the ball loose, and, and Georgia jumps on it, recovers it, and wins the game. Um and the last thing I'll say about this is Georgia needs to find a kicker. So if you know of a kicker um, that needs a job or needs a scholarship. And is still academically eligible. And is still academically eligible. He needs to go to Athens right now. He will kick right now. Well, I'm, I'm you know, uh, one quick thing before I get into my final quick slant. Uh uh, we're not going to talk about the Wisconsin-Georgia State game because that was ugly football. But 
Uh, Wisconsin kicker Rafael Gaglianone was clutch for the Badgers. Three big field goals. Uh, he was definitely the player of the game for them. So, and he was from he went to high school in Tennessee. Coach, y'all could have had him. I know we could have, should have. You you played against him. Yeah, we did. We yeah. did. He was at uh, Baylor. Yeah, he was a uh, he, he was a uh, you know a nice little roly poly with a heck of a leg on him. But you talked about Jacob Eason a little bit earlier, Coach. I want to highlight three quarterbacks in the Big Twelve that had themselves a great weekend. Let's start Friday night. Baylor Bears taking on the Rice Owls. Uh, Rice, you know, zero and three, not really off to a great start this year. Usually kind of a doormat, but uh, Seth Russell, 337 yards, three touchdowns, but most of it was to Katie Cannon, junior receiver, nine catches, 213 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, you know, it was, it's, you know, with all of the scandal that's gone on with Baylor, they're quietly 3-0 and so far this year. Their offense is clicking. Um, you know, we forgot with Corey Coleman uh, going to the NFL, you know, some of us kind of forgot about Katie Cannon. Well, he's back with a vengeance. Uh, before he got injured last year, he had 50 catches for, uh, you know, 800 yards and change. And he's, you know, back at it again, uh, you know, this season, you know, showing it on, on this game that he is still a, a great vertical threat. Elsewhere in the Big 12, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick my homie, uh, he had himself uh, quite the game. They only, they only attempted 36 passes, which for Cliff Kingsbury is usually how much you do in a single quarter. But uh, he had he was 26 for 36, 470 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, Red Raiders, Red Raiders win a barn burner uh, at home in Lubbock against the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, 59 to 45. Most impressive thing about this game: zero turnovers by by either team. So uh, Ryan Higgins, quarterback at Louisiana Tech, had himself a nice game too, 311 yards and three touchdowns. But the game belonged to Patrick Mahomes and his number one target, Jonathan uh, Giles, who had 186 yards and three touchdowns. DeMarcus Felton, though, nice nice job on the ground. 16 carries, 123 yards and two touchdowns. Obviously, Red Raider offense puts up points in bunches. They were at it again uh, this weekend, but they have got to shore up that defense as uh, not for next week because they will, they get to play Kansas and who knows what the, uh, what, what the, how much they're going to be favored by. We will definitely be talking about that on this Thursday's podcast, but as they hit the, you know, the heart of their big 12 schedule, when they have consecutive games versus Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, and Oklahoma state, they're definitely going to have to, uh, they're definitely going to have to shore up their defense if they're going to want to keep up with the big boys. But, in the biggest, uh, in, in the biggest win for the Big Twelve this weekend, possibly Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, I thought that, you know, I thought Pitt was going to come in and, you know, use that ground and pound game with James Conner, come in and sort of put it on Oklahoma State, who are still would still be in a malaise after that crazy loss to Central Michigan. But you know, give it up to Mason Rudolph. 540 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, uh, slinging the ball all around the field, but especially to James Washington. Nine catches, 296 yards, and two touchdowns. Junior wide receiver, uh, had, you know, he's off to a great start this year. Obviously, 296 in one game will really help, but he's at 400 yards so far on the season with three touchdowns through three games. And, you know, um, they also had it going on the ground a little bit. Rennie Childs, only 10 carries, but 101 yards and four touchdowns for Oklahoma State, including you know, a 67-yard long touchdown. So uh, I, was, I was very impressed with the, with the Pokes, uh, that they were able to sort of regroup after that 
what was such a demoralizing loss uh, to the Chippewas last week and beat a very, very quality pit team at home. So uh, that is going to do it for our quick slants. And now it's time to get a little play action going, some deep roots. And so uh, let's start with the biggest victory of the weekend uh, uh, where site of game day was. And Louisville, Kentucky was uh, the home to a gigantic blowout, which I, none of us predicted. You guys, you guys, you guys pick Louisville to win. I pick Florida State to win. Boy, they're my national title pick, and boy, was I wrong. 63 to 20. Lamar Jackson, do we just give him the Heisman now? Uh, he had another five touchdowns, four on the ground, one in the air. Christian McCaffrey might have something to say about that. Christian but, McCaffrey yeah. might have something to say about that before it's all over. But good Lord, Lamar Jackson, definitely, definitely the, the front runner uh, at this stage in the season. I know we're only three weeks in. But uh, what I was most impressed by was Louisville's defense. They were able to contain all of those, you know, really great, um, you know, the great weapons that Florida State has. Dalvin Cook could not get it going on the ground at all. So, Josh, uh, you know, where do you want to start with this game? Well, it's interesting that you went with Dalvin Cook because I actually noticed something very weird about this game with him, and that is his receiving. Now, why would I bring this up? Well, against Ole Miss, when they had that impressive comeback, one of the things that really helped them out was – Francois being able to dump it to Dalvin Cook, who had seven receptions for 101 yards in that game, along a 25. That if you can get that production from your running back, like that's a dream come true. Against Louisville, one reception, eight yards. That's it. And I was looking at his career. For his career, he averages about two catches per game. So he was under that, but since he clearly can do more, as evident by the Ole Miss game, I think they miss an opportunity to let a freshman quarterback, and that was my concern, was how would Francois look in his first road game against his first real defense? It's apparent that Ole Miss, while talented offensively, just has zero, zero defense. So, you know, that was my concern, and they didn't let Dalvin Cook bail him out. We knew that Teams are going to key in on stopping his running ability, but he's so talented. You've got to find a way to get him the ball, and Florida State just didn't. Yeah, I was really thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed in Florida State's game plan. I was disappointed in how they came out. I know it's a noon kick, but my goodness, you're the number two team in the country. You're on the road. Everyone's saying this team's going to beat you. You have a little bit of chip on your shoulder. I just felt like that once they scored a couple of touchdowns, I, I felt like they just let them keep going and they just could not – they couldn't get a handle on it and they couldn't get a grasp on, on this game. And I was extremely disappointed by that. And, and, and the way you do that is you have this guy that uh, – I don't know. His name's Dalvin Cook. I don't know if you, you guys have ever heard of him. Uh, he, can, he can tote the rock a little bit. Uh, have him – help get you out of this funk, have him kind of slow the pace of the game down, get back and get control back of it and, and really just go from, go from there. I mean, you know, you have a, you have a young quarterback who's never started in an environment like this. He's probably, you know, going into it, he's going to struggle. Why not help him out and lean heavily on your Heisman contender 
and, and go in there with that game plan, but it didn't seem like they wanted to defensively. You know, where, where are you at? You know, last year they completely dismantled this group. Last year, Louisville was on the other side of it. Couldn't, couldn't find anything. Couldn't find any room to run. Couldn't, couldn't seem, couldn't seem to do anything right. This year, I mean, I, I don't understand just how they could, how they could look, how they looked against Ole Miss, uh, just energy wise. You know, just flying around the football on defense, and they just looked hapless. And it, it was, you know, I, I just, you know, I walked out of the room to uh, to use the restroom. And I came back, and they scored two touchdowns. And then I walked out of the room to get a drink, and they scored another. And I'm sitting there going, good God. You know, if this is, you know, we say and we talk about embarrassing games for Florida State, getting 60, it being the number two team in the country and getting 63 hung on you on the road, that's got to be pretty daggum embarrassing. And uh, Michael Vick came out and said, uh, and, and uh, on a positive note, uh, Michael Vick tweeted that Lamar Jackson was five times better than he was at VTech. Enough said. Hashtag future. So uh, Mike Vick giving Lamar Jackson some love um, on Twitter. So I thought that was kind of cool. But, you know, for a team that I kind of gave the outside looking in in this division, now I'm giving – now Clemson better better be on alert because in two weeks Louisville is going to come calling to Death Valley, and, and that's going to be that's going to be for the division now. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And Obviously, Clemson did not have a, a very difficult game when they are literally handed touchdowns by uh, South Carolina State. I don't know if you guys saw that South Carolina State uh, kickoff return where, yes. yeah, that was, that, that was pathetic. For, those, for listeners who haven't seen it, uh, just – Oh, find the highlight of South Carolina State player uh, thinking he has taken a knee uh, after kickoff when he has it, just literally tosses the ball in the air uh, towards the ref. Clemson player just grabs him. They have a touchdown. It was pathetic. But And even more pathetic is they cut that game off early. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, what did you go, running clock? No, they just straight up said that's enough. Good, good grief. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I was supremely disappointed, you know, in Florida State. I picked them to win the national title this year. I thought they were the most talented team in the country, uh, besides maybe Alabama. They definitely did not have uh, Alabama's schedule. But that defense, I think the defense is still in Tallahassee. No one showed up on the Florida State defense. Uh, Louisville rushed for 314 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, Florida State, when they won the national title, yeah, they had Jameis and a good offense, but that defense was outstanding. That defense had, I think, seven draft picks? Something like that, seven or eight um, of, of, of guys who went to the draft and got drafted. And they always, you know, yeah, I know they were missing Derwin James, but Derwin James doesn't account for, you know, 63 points getting put up on you. No. You know, Derwin James might be the best player in the defense, but they still got a lot of other really freaking talented guys out there. So that was that was quite frankly embarrassing. Secondly, Florida State's best unit, I would argue, is their offensive line, and they got no push whatsoever against Louisville. And Louisville, you know, not really known for having a great defense out there. And to only, you know, to not even hit 300 total yards as a team uh, when the other team – puts up, you know, in the mid-500s, it's, it's sad. It's, it's, 
you know, Jimbo's got some explaining to do. Uh, DeAndre Francois looked – he looked like a freshman. He looked like a freshman in that game. And he did not look like a freshman yet. But that was – that was not a pretty performance on his part. Seven for 18, 101 yards. Come on, man. You're better than that. And, you know, Josh brought up the getting the ball and down with Cook's hands in the passing game. And I completely, you know, completely agree. Could not agree anymore, in fact. I do not know why he was not involved more in the passing game. They couldn't get it going running. So, you know, you got to get the ball in your hands, your playmaker, best playmaker somehow. And if that's, you know, in the passing game, you know, you got to go about that way. So that was that was just, you know, not a very good look for the Knowles. So let's move from uh, the site of game day to the site of uh, Josh Cook being in the house. Um, yeah. Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, Josh got to experience the rumbling bison up close and personal uh, in what was, you know, quite, quite the upset over the number of 13 Hawkeyes. 23 to 21 by the Bison on a, you know, field goal as time expired. Josh, you were in the house, so I'm just going to let you take it away. Yeah, uh, three, like, big bullet point, like, if this was an outline, these were would be my three, like, big topic statements that I would then fill in. And the, the first one has to be North Dakota State, because I don't want anyone to be like, oh, you know, this is Josh – you know, Homer hammering the Hawks and, you know, blaming them for the loss. No, North Dakota State came to play. They marched it right down the field on their very first possession. The only reason they didn't score was Iowa got lucky that in field goal territory, North Dakota State had a bad snap go over Easton Sticks' head and the drive stalled. But they came ready. They dominated the lines. This was about North Dakota State for my first point. And a big shout-out to their conditioning. They were just destroying us in the fourth quarter. And Iowa just gave their strength and conditioning coach a raise. He's been with Ferentz from the first day Ferentz was hired. We have, eight, we have 85 scholarships. FCS schools has 65. And yet North Dakota State looked like they could play about six more quarters of football and we looked like we were ready to go to the jacuzzi. So hats off to North Dakota State on that. Also want to give a shout-out to the North Dakota State punter, Jackson Kuntz. He uh, did not have a terribly impressive average at just 31 per punt. He punted five times. But he put them so high up into the air that we had to fair catch all but one. The one we didn't fair catch, he killed at about the one-foot line. So he had one hell of a day. Sometimes that's the difference between the FBS and FCS. And really even when you look at some of the conference USA, Mac, smaller conference schools, it's hard to find a punter and a kicker. I mean, Coach even said it about Georgia. There's not too many kickers and punters produced, and yet North Dakota State had a really good punter, and obviously their kicker drilled the game winner. So, so hats off to North Dakota State. As for Iowa. This is number this is point number two. Absolutely atrocious game plan. They played not to lose. They looked soft as Charmin. They looked like they had been reading about going 12-0 all offseason and didn't lift a single weight. Uh, their most dynamic player, 
their fastest player, their most lethal weapon, Akram Wadley, had four carries on the day, and when asked if he had gotten hurt, Coach Ferentz said he was fine. So why the hell doesn't he touch the ball? Iowa's fastest receiver, he's not their best receiver, but their fastest receiver, Rylan McCarron, had a one reception for 30 yards. It was a touchdown. He was targeted exactly zero times the rest of the game. Don't know why. Greg Davis should explain that one. Uh, The passing attack, on the five times that Beathard actually got the ball out because he was sacked numerous times. But in the second half, he completed five of his six passes for a touchdown. Uh, When he stepped out of the game briefly for – he got like his wind knocked out of him or tweaked his shoulder or something. The backup Nathan Stanley came in and went two for two for 45 yards. So second half has a team – we were seven of eight passing when the line gave them enough time to throw it. And yet we continued to run the ball and between stupid runs that went nowhere highlighted was when we tried to run the clock out with a one point lead. Uh, LaShawn Daniels was hit of the ball and tripped over his own feet for a loss of two. It was kind of one of those days yet we didn't pass it more in the second half it made no sense. And our, Running total between sacks and ineptitude was negative seven yards in the second half. Like, come on. An offensive-minded coach, an aggressive coach, is just going to start passing the ball all the time. When the line did protect them, North Dakota State was selling out to stop the run. We could have gashed them anytime we wanted. And we did, for instance, on the 30-yard pass to Riley McCarron, who was then not targeted the rest of the game. And the third point, and... This is something that should anger both North Dakota State fans and Iowa fans. Way to go, Josh. Way to get hate from both sides. Yeah. But the refs called three penalties all game. They called a false start on Iowa, a holding on Iowa that actually negated a 63-yard run. So that was a nice 75-yard penalty on Iowa. And then a personal foul against North Dakota State. But – The secondaries, once they realized that they weren't going to call any penalties, both secondaries just started tackling the other team's receivers. It was like, I mean, if I was a North Dakota State fan, I'd be upset. As an Iowa fan, I'd be upset. Because, like, especially for the Iowa perspective, when a game is called loosely, it generally favors the less skilled team because then they can start grabbing your receivers and all that. And Iowa was more skilled. They shot themselves in the foot a bunch of times, and North Dakota State dominated the line play. But in terms of the skill position wide receivers, we did have a clear edge. And I just don't know how you get through a football game nowadays with just three penalties called all day, tons and tons of holding by both secondaries. It it definitely clogged the game. And – when you were better coached like North Dakota State was, when the game gets clogged, it, it tends to favor them. So those three factors, and like I said, I want to stress this so we don't get any emails, North Dakota State is the story. They dominated us. Coach, anything quick there to add? I think you hit the nail on the head. At, you know, just to sum all of that up, North Dakota State was ready to win that game, and Iowa State – or Iowa State, they played like Iowa State. Uh, Iowa – just came out and thought they were going to just go out there, put their jerseys on the 50-yard line, and North Dakota State was going to bow down. And uh, 
it didn't happen, and then they were so shell-shocked when it didn't happen, they couldn't recover. Yeah, Josh, okay, so I want to pose a hypothetical to you really quickly before we move on to our Mm -hmm. next game. If North Dakota State was swapped out for Purdue this year, they played Purdue schedule, what would their record be? So this is always a tough hypothetical because if North Dakota State was swapped out for Purdue, they would get to have 20 extra scholarships, and the Fargo Dome is like a gorgeous state-of-the-art stadium, and Ross Aid is a dump. So it would be a win-win, actually. Yeah, so in addition to having 20 more players and uh, playing in a nicer facility, they would presumably have better recruiting. It's hard to figure out. But let's just say unchanged. Those 65 play Purdue schedule. Uh, Purdue open with Eastern Kentucky. Obviously, North Dakota State is the best team in FCS, so they would cream Eastern Kentucky. Uh, Cincinnati, that's tough. That's tough to know. Uh, North Dakota State would certainly have a fighting chance, but it would be a coin toss. Uh, Nevada, Nevada's had a rough go of things. I think North Dakota State would be favored in that game. At Maryland, Maryland struggled with Central Florida, but they are undefeated. I don't know. North Dakota State would probably have a fighting chance in that. At Illinois, I think North Dakota State would win. They already beat Iowa. Uh, at Nebraska, it's tough. I, I don't think they would be able to beat Nebraska. Penn State, uh, I don't know. Penn State's a lot like us. They have better athletes but are certainly worse coached, so they would have a fighting chance in that one. At Minnesota, I would Probably pick North Dakota State against Minnesota. I would certainly pick them against Northwestern. Uh, Wisconsin would probably not do as dumb a stuff as Iowa did, so I would pick Wisconsin over North Dakota State. Lastly, at Indiana, I'm buying stock in Indiana, so I would pick the Hoosiers in that game. So uh, by my count, that's several clear-cut wins, a couple uh, on the fence, and then uh, I had about three sure losses in there with Penn State being – a probable fourth loss. So I would put their ceiling at about eight and four, which, you know, that's, that's not too bad. They're going bowling if they're in the big 10. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they, 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 really they, are. they definitely are. I think that we, uh, I would not mind swapping Purdue out for North Dakota state. Um, uh, it'd be really nice if North Dakota state combined with the university of North Dakota hockey team, because the big 10 hockey league is a joke, but that's a different story for a different well, podcast. Well, the last thing that I want to say about this game is I had heard two weeks ago when I went back to the game, my, my barber um, is one of those old timey city barbers that you get where he hears stuff. He thinks he's in the know, but sometimes it's a lot of hyperbole. So you never know where he, where he's coming from. And he told me that he heard 10,000 North Dakota state fans were coming. And I was stunned. I mean, that was, that's a seventh of our stadium. Uh, Iowa State didn't have 10,000 people, and they have half the drive. So I I kind of sort of dismissed it. And, no, there were 10,000 people there. And, look, if you're going to buy season tickets and then turn around and say, oh, well, this is a a smaller school. We can skip this game and, and sell it. Like, come on. I drive back from Chicago. I make a three and a half hour drive. Coach, I don't think you miss too many games. Perkins, I know you don't miss too many games when you have the opportunity. If you're going to spend the money to buy season tickets, it's 12 Saturdays. Go. Don't pick a random weekend to blow it off. And then if you do want to get rid of that game, find a coworker, find a friend, find someone. 
don't just turn around and do the lazy thing and put on the secondary market. Because I tell you what, those, the Bison fan flooded the secondary market. They had at least 10,000 fans there. They were certainly louder than us during stretches. They might have had more than 10,000. But, I mean, come on. If you, if you care about the team to buy tickets, show the hell up. You know, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. But, you know, kudos to them for traveling well. Um, and, yeah. you know, you know, good on them. So, well, let's keep it in the Big Ten here. Uh, we're going to go a little quicker here for our last couple games. Uh, Michigan State uh, pulling off. I don't know if it was an upset or not, but I think by Vegas' standards it was an upset. But by the rankings, Michigan State was the better team. Beating Notre Dame 36-28 to in what ended up being uh, what well, was a blowout for a while. Notre, Notre Dame scored 14 in the fourth quarter to make it a little bit more respectable. But for a while there, uh, Michigan State was up 36-14. And uh, they really, really had it going. So, uh, Coach, what was the problem with the Irish this weekend? But I'm, you know, to be honest, it was weird. Like, they missed tackles, uh, for one. Um, they just, I, I don't know. Like, Deshaun Kaiser got sacked a lot. Tyler O'Connor was nineteen and twenty-six for two forty-ones and two touchdowns. Um, it just, it was just one of those situations where Michigan State just came in and you know, just impose their will on Notre Dame. And, you know, I, I think Michigan State's a little more mentally tough than Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame might have a little bit uh, – I think they had uh, Freddie Peasoft uh, running with them uh, a little bit. Um, but, I mean, it, it, this one was – you know, it's one of those games where they had such a surge at the end of the game that it's really tough to really pinpoint exactly what went wrong. But, uh, you know, Michigan State just does what Michigan State does. They just beat the crap out of you, and they, they, t- they rip your will right out of your, right out of your heart. And, uh, and that's just kind of what they did here, you know. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I was impressed with uh, the, the Michigan State ground game, 260 yards, three touchdowns. Notre yeah, Dame, I mean, that, that's what they do. I mean, they ground and pound. Yeah, they do. Uh, Josh, how do you, well, what do you think of the Spartans this weekend? Well, I'm going to steal something that Mike Tirico and Doug Flutie talked about. And first of all, like NBC bringing those guys to do their games way better. Notre Dame's almost watchable now. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we know we knew the Irish had had troubles uh, on de- on defense. But uh, what what Tirico and Flutie said was Michigan State held something back in that Furman game, and it, it's obvious they did. They they just played very vanilla against Furman and then used the bye week to be able to prepare for a really weak defense. And they seemed to do whatever they wanted. And I know, I know O'Connor beat Ohio state last year, but that was a game in a driving, driving rainstorm. To me, this was his real coming out party. Coach mentioned his stat line. He, he shredded the Irish and, and professor, you touch on the running game. And, and that's where I wanted to go with uh, LJ Scott, he is a sludgehammer. He just wore them down, wore them down, wore them down. Most Josh, I want to interject right there really quick. Yeah. L.A. Scott is just T.J. Duckett 2.0. Pretty much, yeah. He uh, he had the very blue-collar Big Ten workman-like 98 yards on 22 carries. Every time he ran, it seemed like Irish needed six players to bring him down, and that allowed his teammate Gerald Holmes 100 yards on 13 carries, two touchdowns to just shred them. He had a long of 73 as they brought that uh, 
what you always strive for, that, that thunder and lightning running attack, and God, the Spartan team's going to be a good one again. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, oh gosh, D'Antonio's just got it working there, man. He's really got it working. Well, they showed, uh, they showed the graphic. They said the most wins since, I believe, it was 2010, and he's third in the entire country at 66. So, I mean, they just... I mean, what was it? Saban number one, and yeah, I, I don't know who number two is. Shaw, maybe. Yeah, it was uh, it was based on being at the program. So, uh, you know, Urban Meyer obviously has won a lot, but before he got there, they had the down year with Luke Fickle and and things like that. So, I can't remember the exact coaches, but most people wouldn't assume Michigan State has the third most wins, um, but. You know, the, the recruiting certainly gotten better, obviously, but they have an identity. They have that foundation to rely on. They, you know, we saw it against that tight game last year against Michigan. We saw it in the terrible weather against Ohio State. We see it, you know, against Notre Dame when, like, they just know what they are. They don't get too high. They never, ever get low. And Dan Tunney is like the exact opposite of – <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's move it along and head down to uh, coaches' country, SEC. Uh, oh yeah, number one team in the country, Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, coming back on the Ole Miss Rebels to win forty-eight to forty-three in uh, a very sort of back and forth, I don't want to go back and forth. It's just a game of runs, basically. But uh, Jalen Hurts is definitely the story here. Uh, guy had uh, three hundred and four total yards. Surprisingly, no touchdowns, but he was moving the ball down the field uh, left and right. So, uh, obviously, Bama able to pull off the victory after getting down early uh, to Chad Kelly and company. Chad Kelly had himself a nice game, though, 421 yards and three touchdowns. But, uh, Coach, what was the key for Alabama here in, uh, in pulling, out, pulling it out? Well, they, they took most of the momentum right there before halftime. I mean, it, you know, you saw Ole Miss up 24 to three, um, you know, late in the second quarter. I mean, it was one of those games where you're looking at going, are you kidding me? They're, I mean, they're about to pull this off. I mean, you know, out Jalen Hurts at that point, it looked like a freshman. And uh, he didn't look like a freshman for, for very long, though. He threw for 158, ran for 146. Um, you know, the defense chipped in with a couple of, uh, couple of touchdowns. Eddie Jackson, uh, had a, had a punt return. Um, th- those were all the biggest plays of the game and, uh, where, where it kind of took, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, they, uh, you know, miss Ole Miss, you know, with, with about, actually with about two minutes, 47 seconds left, actually to be exact, Marquise Haynes put one of the biggest shots I've seen on a quarterback all season on, on Hertz forcing a fumble. And, you know, they, they ran it in for a touchdown, but, uh, you know, three plays, 37 seconds later, uh, Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley, uh, ran for a six yard touchdown. Uh, and then, uh, Ole Miss was forced to punt on the next drive. You know, Jackson returned that punt for 85 yards for a touchdown. Um, so, you know, about that time that kind of took them into the half. So, it went from being 24 to three and looking bleak for Alabama to now it's 20, 24, 17 at halftime. Um, you know, again, one, once again, Ole Miss proving that they can't handle a running quarterback. Uh, and then Chad Kelly uh, also proving that when it, when it comes down to it, he can't, 
You know, he, he, he can't – with the game on the line, he can't do it. You know, he had a career-high 421 yards and three touchdowns, but, you know, those two turnovers that he had uh, are glaring, and, and they pretty much cost it. You know, he fumbled deep in the territory. Uh, you know, he, he was one of those where he, he made a freshman mistake of holding on to the ball too long. I mean, it, I, think he, I think he held on to it for, for close to 10 seconds. He moved around in the pocket. Thought he can elude a defender. What what he didn't know was that Alabama they they work out, they lift weights, and they do speed training as well. You know, not just Ole Miss. And this guy chased him down, stripped the ball, and they scored. And this was he was on the three yard line when all this happened. You know, you, you've got to have the wherewithal right there to to get rid of the ball, throw it away, throw it at the feet of one of your receivers, throw it and bust somebody's nose in the first row. I, I don't know. I don't care. Get rid of the damn thing and let it to fight another day. Can we talk about that Jonathan Allen interception, by the way, for the 75-yard interception return? Because yes. that, that was a thing of beauty. Yes. Uh, he's a big yes. boy, and he was moving. Yeah, I mean, he uh, it was another where, uh, you know, this was in the fourth quarter, and, and you got to watch this on, on, on the highlights. This is, this is actually really, really funny uh, and really awesome all the same. But, uh, you know, Chad Kelly, was he, he was being pressured, and, you know <laughs> – it's one of those panic moments, and he just threw it right into right into Allen's hands, you know. And, and he uh, Allen's a giant too. Like, how do you not see him? I know. I, I don't know. Like, he just it, it almost looked like he just closed his eyes and threw it, and you know, all two hundred ninety one pounds of of him uh, caught the ball. <laughs> Jonathan Allen, all two hundred ninety one pounds of him rumbled. Not only did he like, you know, it's one thing like he catches it and runs like ten yards and scores a touchdown and does the BJ Raji dance and all that stuff, but he ran seventy five yards. That's the longest he's run all season. Seventy five yards. I, he was probably gasping for air. He he probably had to have an oxygen tank. He probably didn't have to go. He probably didn't come back in the game. He probably didn't. Um, and at that point, they, they took a 48-30 to 30 lead. Um, and then, uh, you know, Ole Miss scored two late touchdowns to put a scare into them. But, you know, of course, Alabama was able to ice the game. So, I mean, you know, if we, if we go to the box score on here, man, it, it's just – it's, you know, if you look at the quarterback comparison, you know, 19-31, to 31, 158 yards, no touchdowns. It's a, you know, 68-66 quarterback rating. You know, if you just look at the numbers – with Jalen Hurts, you know, at least throwing the ball, you know, you're saying, eh, pretty pedestrian day. Chad Kelly, 26 of 41 for three touchdowns and a, and a very costly the interception we just talked about. Um, QBR rating of 53.3. On the ground is where Jalen Hurts, no pun intended, um, hurt them. 18 carries, 146 yards. Still no touchdowns, but he just kind of kept the chains moving. He kind of kept them – going in, 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 in positions to uh, to score. I mean, you, you look at some of the receiving numbers, Calvin Ridley, eight catches, 81 yards. Uh, O.J. Howard only had two catches. Our Darius Stewart didn't really get involved much. He was hurt. Um, he left the game, and he was being tended to um, on the sidelines, but he only had four catches for two yards. Uh, you, you go over and look at Van Jefferson, six catches, 91 yards. Evan Ingram, nine catches, 138 with a touchdown. I mean, these numbers are impressive if you look at the Ole Miss side, but the, the glaring stat is turnovers and special teams. You, know, you give up a huge punt return for a touchdown. You give up two defensive touchdowns. I mean, you can't do that. Josh, you got anything to add here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this game and uh, circling back to, to Hammer Eye a little bit more demonstrates the attention to details that coaches like Saban have and other teams don't. Um, that, that punt, you look at the, the Ole Miss's punting average, it's through the roof, but that doesn't do anything for you if you outkick your coverage. A smart team, like what North Dakota State did, was sacrifice some yards, loft it up, get your coverage down there, and avoid the big play. And then on that fumble, I mean, you know, you can't, cannot give up defensive touchdowns. And that's what Ole Miss did. And, at, you know, Iowa missed a block on that blitz, resulted in an interception for North Dakota when Beathard got hammered. And that's the difference of the game. You take away, you take away Ole Miss's special teams gaffes and turnovers, they win the game. Just like Iowa, you take away their mistakes, they win the game. And it's not that Alabama is a million times better than Ole Miss. There's a reason Ole Miss beat them twice. There's a reason Ole Miss was in this game. But when you routinely forget to dot the I's and cross the T's, you're going to lose at some point. And for Ole Miss, it was against both Florida State and now against Alabama. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Alabama obviously, uh, you know, it's it's a very solid win. They got that bugaboo out of their system uh, for you know because obviously they they have been struggling with Ole Miss the past few years, but uh, now they they've got a little bit of a respite. Next couple weeks uh, they've got Kent State and then Kentucky before they have to before they have four straight games versus ranked teams: Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas A and M, and LSU. So um, you know that's a really Solid win uh, for for them, and you know they they retain being number one uh, overall. And but the you know the sledding does not get any easier for the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, they're taking on your dogs next week, Coach. So obviously we'll yeah. we'll be previewing that uh, come later this week. But I'm gonna, I just want to touch on uh, one game real quick: the Oregon Nebraska game. Uh, we're just gonna get through this one really quick. Nebraska pulls off um, the upset, if you want to call that, at home, thirty five thirty two. Oregon just did not look, uh, you know, in uh, they did not look like themselves. They went one for five on two point conversions, uh, which you know, in in essence, really cost them. They scored five touchdowns, so it should have been thirty five thirty five. But uh, they you know ended up going for two every time, and just kept getting further and further behind the eight ball. Tommy Armstrong from Nebraska had himself a a very solid day, 295 yards and four touchdowns total uh, between running and passing. Uh, Jordan Westerkamp caught two of his touchdowns. But, uh, Josh, did you want to add anything here real quick about Nebraska-Oregon? Well, I mean, they got the first one like they always do. If they had just played with the house money then, they would have had 36 points. This is an example of just – being stupid, chasing points, being cute. And uh, another announcer with a really good point, they said that when they went for two, so it was um, it was 32-28. They went for two to get up six. And the announcer said, why are they doing that when they should think about their next score? And their next score, if they had gotten another one, would have only put that up by a field goal. And it was just like, they just, Helfrich had like 
a brain cramp and didn't think. And Oregon really needs to, I know that's their identity, but it's just bafflingly stupid and a cost on the game. <coughs> what do you need to add here? No, I mean, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, anytime you get in a, in a, in a place where you're, you know, you're, you're chasing points when you shouldn't, shouldn't chase points, it usually comes up to bite you. But, you know, and, and that's just, you know, managing different situations. And, and Helfer should know better because this is not his first rodeo. Um, but, uh, you know, people are going to look to Oregon playing without Royce Freeman, um, all that stuff. They're going to say, well, if we had Royce Freeman, it would be different. But, you know, I, I was really impressed with, with Armstrong and, and, uh, and what he did, you know, almost accounting for 300 yards of total offense. And, and he kind of just – did exactly what he what we thought he'd do, and you know Oregon's defense did exactly what we thought they would do, and so um, you know not not surprising with this game. Uh, I wasn't surprised in the least bit. So um, it's a very good game for for Nebraska. Happy for them. Uh, you know they they're a team uh, that needs to be playing on a high level. The Big Ten needs them to be playing on a high level just for you know quality of conference. So. Um, you know, big, big hats off to, to Nebraska. Big win for them, Morgan. You got some work to do. All right. Well, the other the other big thing from this game that I forgot to mention: Oregon, twelve penalties, one hundred and twenty four yards. Yeesh, that is rough. Well, let's uh, let, let's finish it out, guys, with uh, another big win for the Big Ten Conference. This time, it's uh, the cream of the crop of the conference: the Ohio State Buckeyes, led by. Uh, JT Barrett doing his best Tim Tebow impression. Uh, the cream of the crop, oh yeah. Beating down uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, forty-five to twenty-four. Um, uh, Noah Brown was uh, really big for JT Barrett. Noah Brown uh, had only five catches, but four of them were for touchdowns. So uh, you gotta love that kind of uh, ratio if you're a receiver. I want to get on my soapbox here for a minute, though. Um, before I throw it to you guys and talk about Oklahoma running back Joe Mixon. This is a guy who, uh, as a freshman on campus, did one of the most uh, deplorable things. And he, uh, at, uh, at the cafeteria on campus, uh, got angry at a female student and uh, threw, a punch, uh, threw a punch at her and basically broke her entire face. Uh, there, Deadspin has a fantastic write-up about everything that, she, that this girl has endured. And he was, you know, suspended and, uh, you know, didn't play for part of his freshman year. Um, and he is an unbelievably talented runner, five-star guy coming out of high school in an unbelievable head case. He had a kick return in this game that for, he took 97 yards to the house for a touchdown, but he did the, the, the Deshaun Jackson thing where he dropped the ball right before he crossed the goal line. Now the referees missed this and didn't call it, but as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter. Um, if, if the uh, if Big Game Bob has any wits about him, he will he would bench this kid because he is not the kind of person you want on your team. I don't care how talented he is, he is a kid who just gets under my skin like no one else does. So um, I'll let you guys talk a little bit about the game more, but Joe Mixon just he makes my blood boil. So Josh, uh, big game for the Buckeyes. 
Yeah, and I think what we're starting to see is Oklahoma desperately misses Sterling Shepard. Their passing game just does not have the same pop. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield looks completely different than he did as a Heisman Trophy candidate a year ago. I'm not sure that would have made the entire difference for it, for Oklahoma in, honestly, either other games against Houston or Ohio State. But that's a big piece of the puzzle missing, and their offense just does not look the same. And hats off to Ohio State, though. You know, we I had a theme today about winning the trenches and horrible coaching decisions. When you're on the road with a young team, you got to put your players in the best position to win. Urban Meyer did that. Ohio State also dominated in the trenches. And like you said, Matt, we're running a little bit long, so I'll cut it there with my analysis of the Buckeyes. Coach, anything to add? Quick. Yeah, I mean, you know, JT Barrett was, was impressive. Noah Brown was impressive. I mean, the whole team, they just imposed their will on them, and they just came in and just smacked them in the mouth said, wait a minute, you know, you think this is your house? No, it's not. We're the we're the we're the top dogs in this country and uh, you know in this in this league and whatever they wanted to say and whatever they wanted to do they could and uh, you know it just goes to show that you know Ohio State's the big dog and that that's why I picked them I believe I picked them to win the national championship I hope I did um, if I didn't then you know I'm going to revise my pick here that you did coach yeah uh, and and uh, you know this game just further illustrates why I did and this game also further illustrates why I want to recant uh, Oklahoma going into the playoff. Uh, <laughs> would have changed my mind on that one. Um, I think there's a list of teams that uh, that could go, and I think uh, that fourth spot is going to be between uh, Louisville and Houston. Whoever – Given to Alabama, Ohio State, and who else? Alabama, Ohio State. Who else did I pick? You pick – you picked Clemson. That's right. I did pick Clemson. So Clemson-Louisville winner. Yeah, Clemson-Louisville winner. And then be between the Clemson-Louisville loser plus Houston. Uh, Houston yeah. Uh, for that for that fourth and final playoff spot. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be – it, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. We've got a lot of more big games ahead of us coming up in the season. But week three was a fantastic week of games. There were so many more games that were – a really great overtime down to the wire that we didn't even have a chance to get to, but such is the nature of the beast. So uh, we have to wrap it up here for tonight. So um, I, we are going to say so long and see you next time. Uh, and so on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of our intrepid blogger from big 10 and counting Josh cook in Chicago, Illinois, This is the professor, Matt Perkins in Los Angeles, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.